You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. And this is Robin, the producer of KRBN Internet News Talk Radio. And Jay is running a few minutes late here, so we're just going to sit back and wait for him to kind of show up. You know, those commissioners are always, uh, always busy. So please stand by. We'll be right with you. And now, ladies and gentlemen, coming to you live, our West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. I made it. Thank you. My apologies to everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. Had a meeting in downtown Eugene, and I swear to gosh, every slow Prius in the world got in front of me on the way home. But I made it, and we're ready for another edition of the Bose No Show. We've got a lot to talk about as I'm trying to, to, to madly sign in and, and do everything. First thing I want to do is just get on the air. But we have so much. I mean, you know, we have this whole, you know, Delta vaccines and masks. Oh, my, you know, and, and people are losing their minds. Oh, gosh. That's one of my favorite scenes from, you know, the Batman genre movies is, you know, that the Joker in, in the hospital is the nurse. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, 
so much is going on and what I'm concerned about is we are going to see a return to the, some of the totalitarianism and some of the tyranny that was somewhat justified maybe during the early parts of the pandemic when we didn't understand the virus and other things. Time we're kind of being told that even though somebody like me who's fully vaccinated has to wear a mask now indoors and that we're going to require all of our kids to wear masks going to school, whether the parent wants that or not. And it's really, you know, yes, case counts have risen. Yes, the Delta variant variant is more, you know, um, easily communicated and, and, you know, spreads faster and all that good stuff. The issue, though, is we got to step back and let's take a look at the actual numbers when it comes to some of this. And I, I, I went back and I looked at. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, but the fact checkers say that your information is incorrect. Well, I, I, I let me ask the fact checkers to go. I, I pulled this information directly from the Oregon Health Authority's coronavirus data pages. And went back into their spreadsheet that has like week by week and daily data and all that stuff. And on June 8th was the day that Lane County was moved permanently into low risk. You remember, we finally hit that 70% of people 16 and up had at least one dose of the vaccine. And the governor waved her magic scepter. And lo and behold, you are allowed to, you know, have 50% capacity in, or, or 75% capacity in restaurants and, and have eight people at the table instead of six and a few other things like that. Um, that was the magic wave, you know, when it started. And then on June 30th was the day the governor lifted all the restrictions because we hit that 70% of at least one dose for the adult population for the entire state, supposedly. Uh, and all those mandates and everything were, were completely lifted, and we were free. And then just recently, the governor announced that we are going to have children wearing masks again at the end of last week, the end of July. So I went back and looked at what the data was and the number of cases in the week leading up to June 8th the number of hospitalizations we had at that time, you know, both ICU and non-ICU, and the number of deaths we had in that previous week. So in the week where Lane County was moved into low risk, we had 1,753 cases in Oregon the week prior. We had 20 people placed in the ICU and 112 in non-ICU total of 132 people hospitalized, and 16 deaths that happened in the, in the previous week. Now, mind you, that 132 is not total people hospitalized. It's how many entered the hospital that week. The week before June 30th, when all the mandates were lifted, 
There was 1,211 cases in the previous seven days. 18 people were in the ICU, hospitalized in the ICU. 73 were non-ICU and 11 deaths. Now, the previous week, the governor announcing that she's going to require masks for children and that she and that OHA recommended people start wearing masks indoors. There were 4,578 cases. Wow, that's a lot. You know, wow, we basically more than doubled where we were back in, in, in June 8th when we moved to low risk across the state. But there are only 21 people placed in ICU, only 127 additionally hospitalized, and only 16 deaths. Hmm, that number is really close to the same numbers we were seeing when we were lifting restrictions. The vaccine is effective. Yes, they're breakthrough cases, but because we have, you know, yes, the Delta variant is very contagious, but we're not seeing the same severity of disease because we have such a high vaccination rate in this state. So does it justify mask mandates asking a five-year-old kid in first grade to wear a mask for six hours a day? Ask you know they're gonna probably get full of food, and suck on, and who knows what else. And, and you know, I would I would hate to see what a um, bacterial culture out of that mask would look like towards about two in the afternoon. Um, you know, we are seeing you know one a demonstration of how well the vaccines are actually working, even on a variant. And yes, they're breakthrough cases, but the majority of hospitalizations and deaths in this Delta variant resurgence are unvaccinated people. Majority of the cases are unvaccinated people, 90, 95%. Yes. And the thing we don't know is when we we haven't actually gone back and looked at the vaccinated people that got breakthrough cases, did they get their vaccines within the right number of weeks of each other? Did they wait a long time between doses? Did they mix doses? Were they on the Johnson Johnson one dose, which, you know, I've always kind of questioned whether that was the best uh, vaccine other than for people that are hard to track down maybe like homeless people. It's a good thing to have a single dose vaccine. Um, But, you know, from what I can see, looking at the data, we're not talking about the same sort of issue as far as we've got to do all this to, to protect our hospital capacity. We're not, you know, if we were, we should never have listed the, the restrictions in June because we were seeing the same number of hospitalizations. So if we could lift the hospitalizations in June, why are we talking about, you know, and lift the, the restrictions in June because we had, you know, 
20 people going to the ICU or 18, and now we've got 21, justifies reinstalling these restrictions. We had 16 deaths when we lifted restrictions here in Lane County, and we've got 16 deaths across the state, and now we're talking about reinstalling restrictions. I, I you know, it just plays into the people who are saying, see, it doesn't matter if you get the vaccine, they're going to make us wear a mask anyway. You know, I've been fully vaccinated. If you've chosen not to be vaccinated at this point, which I fully support, you're right, it's a personal health care decision. I think you'd be smart to get vaccinated. I hope that you'll talk to your 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 medical providers. I hope you'll talk to some friends and family about it, you know, and 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 think about who you're protecting beside yourself. But um, you know, if you're at this point, and I asked this question in our board meeting, is there a shortage of vaccine in the state, anywhere in the state, and availability? Is it widely available? Can you get it at almost any pharmacy, doctor's office? Is it, you know, are we running clinics out in public and everything? You know, how difficult is it to get this vaccine? Does it cost anything? No shortages, available everywhere, cost zero. So at this point, if you're not vaccinated, why do I have to wear a mask to protect you? My other question I asked during the board meeting is do masks protect the person that's wearing it? I know they protect other people. You know, that's, you know they've talked about that. But I, my question was, do they protect the person wearing it? Yes. So why don't the people that are unvaccinated wear their mask and let, leave us alone that have been vaccinated? And if you're unvaccinated and don't want to wear a mask, I support that too. You can roll the dice. I have a friend that rolled the dice and just came down with COVID this week. His business is him. He's going to be without income for two weeks. Sure hope he has a savings account. You know, that that's, you know, to me, it doesn't justify government mandates and government action at this time. You know, that may change. I might see data over the next couple of weeks, but I, I don't see it. I didn't see it when I read the actual CDC report that was trying to justify the new mask mandate guidance. In fact, most of the studies they made reference to were from foreign countries and dealt with the AstraZeneca vaccine breakthrough issues with Delta. And that's not even approved for use in this country. I don't know why they're you know, back in the mode of trying to scare us, maybe it might be to justify this extension of the eviction moratorium. Oh, hold it. That's what the CDC did. They tried to tie it to counties that have high rates of the Delta variant, of this extension of the eviction moratorium, you know, which the Supreme Court basically said, without an act of Congress, you can't do that because you're actually stomping on private property rights. Oh, well. And I see Robin's just 
dying. I can I, I can see the, the the look on her face as as I'm talking about this. She's just dying to jump in and talk about about COVID and and masks and vaccines and and fact checkers and all that stuff. Wow. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know if you have your board up or not, but we have Joe on the line who'd like to talk to you a little bit about this. Oh, great. Well, jump on in, Joe. I'm sorry I don't have my board up because I ran in late. <laughs> yeah, not a problem. The fact is is that <clears throat> Americans are stupid, and we're mathematically illiterate. If we weren't, all we had to do at the very beginning of the so-called pandemic is just take a look at the CD figures. When they told us, without even going to the website, that it has a 2% mortality rate, I took out of my spreadsheet, I ran down a couple of demographics above 65, below 65, and you jiggle around the figures in order to get 2%, and in order to get the number of deaths um, at that time, which they said, well, I think was around 400,000. So when you do that, and like I said, if you divide the country into above 65 years of age and below 65 years of age, because 60, above 65, they were supposed to be the most susceptible, then you reason, then the math shows you that above 65, they would have to have like, a, I think it's a 4% mortality rate. And inclusive, you have to include with those figures, um, below 65, and those people below 65, if the above 65 crowd has a 4% uh, mortality rate, the below 65 crowd has like a 0.001%, which means that the people who are above 65, especially with underlying conditions, are the ones you vaccinate. You do not vaccinate those that have less than a one in a million chance of catching COVID. And this is before the, uh, <laughs> the, vac- the so-called vaccines became uh, national fodder. So just by doing the 2%, you don't have a lockdown. Tuberculosis has either the same amount of deaths or about the same amount of deaths. You don't have a lockdown. Um, SARS. And the swine flu, they had about the same amount. You do not have a lockdown. You don't have a lockdown for the coronavirus, yet they do it. And don't forget, when this first started, Fauci said, ah, it's not dangerous. Oh, it is dangerous. You don't have to wear a mask. You got to wear a mask. Take off the mask. Put on two masks. Uh-oh, Delta variant. Got to get a vaccine. It'll protect you against coronavirus. No, it won't. Yes, it will. It might protect you against the Delta variant, perhaps. So when you're listening to um, morons like this, I have to say that these people are not looking out for our best interests. Yeah, I, you know, in in some ways I, I agree with a lot you said, Joe. The, the, the one thing I would say about um, – vaccinating people under 65 is the transmission rate between the under 65 to those over 65 for people with pre-existing conditions. Um, and it, you know, we, there's plenty of disease that, that, that we're, we try and keep down with vaccination like measles, uh, mumps and rebel, you know, MMR, um, 
vaccine uh, where they're, you know, the mortality rate is probably not that high either, but it's about um, the spread. And it's not just purely on mortality. You have to remember that there's a fair amount of people that get this disease don't die, but are hospitalized for, you know, long periods of time and end up with permanent damage. Um, That's a very, very, very small percentage, though. Um, When they were talking about all the hospitals that were overwhelmed with COVID patients, um, people went to the hospitals and discovered that the, uh, the reporting of them were completely false. There weren't any hospitals that were overwhelmed. And Trump had sent in the comfort and the mercy to help out in New York, and um, they didn't take advantage of them. So when, you, when you're hearing stuff like this, again, uh, the government isn't, work, isn't uh, looking out for us. You, you can't blame it all on stupidity. And I wasn't talking about the vaccine transmission. I was talking about the COVID transmission. Now, if you want to talk about the vaccine transmission, when you were talking about uh, people who have been vaccinated, should they wear masks, should they wear masks, should they not wear masks? If you're vaccinated, that means you are not supposed to catch the disease. You're not supposed to be on to, to come down with it. If you're not going to come down with it, how are you going to transmit it? And the mask, as you said, they're, um, they're to protect people. They don't protect you. The uh, so-called virus is smaller than even the N195 mask, uh, their holes, and it can get through. And 90, at the very beginning of all this pandemic, 92% of the people who had come down with COVID were wearing masks. So that shows you something. Yeah, I would one. I would challenge that 92 percent number as 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 a, as a real number, but also, um, you know, vaccinations is never intended to completely prevent transmission. But one of the things they they do is they they limit the number of people that get it because they have enough antibodies that when they do expose to that virus or whatever uh, pathogen that virus that the vaccines intended for that they fight off the infection before it becomes a, a, a pace of any kind. What happens with a lot of vaccinated people is they can actually get get the virus at a much lower, um, much lower um, severity, lower where, you know, yeah. asymptomatic or whatever, mm-hmm. and there is the possibility of still passing that virus, virus on, but it's never yeah. the vaccines by their very definition and how they work are you get you get the disease and the vaccine helps you fight it off. Yeah, and oh okay. And but the vaccine for the coronavirus, you're not you can't have a vaccine for the coronavirus. Coronavirus is of the flu family which mutates and come and splits off into I think a thousand different the coronavirus is not from the influenza family. It's from the common cold family. The common cold has more oh, okay. in common, common cold, with SARS virus. If you look at the structure of the virus, it's completely different from like the H1N1 virus that, it, that causes the flu. Influenza and coronavirus are completely different viruses. Okay. Uh, if you want to put it in the cold family, that's even better because you can't have a vaccine for the cold. Because that's one of the reasons. 
yeah. so difficult to develop one. And why why SARS is so scary is because it is related to that that easily mutating type of virus, um, and that's one of the concerns about trying to get this disease under control because as it has more and more hosts in in out there in the environment, it mutates more and you get more and more variants. So you well, know, the sooner but the thing is the sooner control and suppress, the less variants and we'll probably have to deal with boosters just like the flu because it will mutate and come back in other variants. Well, okay. <laughs> if you want to take it, that's, that's fine. But the thing it's is, immuno- is that, huh? It's immunology 101. Yeah, well, here's another thing about immunology 102. They, the CDC has not isolated the coronavirus um, pathogen. People have asked for it so that they could take a look at it under the electron microscope, and the CDC can't present it. And people who have taken a look at the so-called coronavirus uh, pathogen has found that it's uh, made up of a couple of different types of chemicals. It's not an isolated uh, virus. So um, these, and that was the basis for a lawsuit against the CDC. So we're not getting the correct information. But again, with a 2% mortality rate, um, it's, not, it's not worthy of a lockdown. And you were talking about over 65, how they could, they're susceptible like I was. And, yes, it is. They are. And those with underlying conditions are going to be uh, more affected by the flu, the cold, or anything else, especially if they're in nursing homes, and which will push them over the edge and cause them to die, like what, what Cuomo had done to the nursing, um, to the nursing homes um, by causing 16,000 more deaths by mandating that patients in hospitals who supposedly had COVID who were to be transferred to nursing homes, which had no facilities to treat the COVID. And as a result, the investigation shows that he's responsible for 16,000 deaths. Yeah, it was a huge mistake on his part. It was a huge mistake. Don't disagree with you there. That was a a horrible mistake on his part. It's a (laughs) tempt... It could be called negligent homicide. Before he signed the directive, from what I understand, he was against um, having people over 65 come into contact with COVID under any kind of circumstances. So if he knew that, then why would he direct nursing homes, uh, mandate them to take them in? I guess because he didn't want to use the hospital ships Trump provided. Well, that's a stupid excuse. Yeah. And I hope you're being I facetious. No, I, I am being facetious, okay. but I mean, it just—it's like I—I I, I can't get inside his brain, um, <laughs> and I don't want to. That's all I got to say. Take care now. All right. Well, thanks for calling, Joe. So as easy as that to get in here on the Bose Nose Show, just 646-721-9887. And don't forget to press 1 so Robin knows you want to get on the show. And I do have my, my board up now so I can actually see if you call. I managed to do that while Joe was talking. Um, interesting conversation. Um, don't say I agree with Joe 100%. And I, I 
don't think people appreciate what a 2% mortality rate for disease is. Um, that's a pretty high mortality rate when you think about it. Um, and, and, of course, younger you are, the lower the rate is. The older you are, the higher it is, the more, you know, preexisting conditions. But it is to, you know, when you get up in age, you know, it gets to be close to a a 20% mortality rate in, in some of the higher age range. Um, but 2% pretty high because when you start talking about influenza and um, some of the outbreaks we've had that, you know, swine flu and all that stuff, they, they were nowhere close to 2% mortality rate. You know, we're talking less than 1%, tenths of a percent mortality rate. So, you know, we're, it's, you know, easily trackable, the excess deaths in the U.S. and around some of the states. I've gone over the numbers here in Oregon before on the show where it's easy to show the spike in, in the death rate in Oregon compared to the previous 20 years that 2020 was. No other explanation, you know, really than the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, I don't, I don't question that it is a pandemic. So, uh, I, you know, I, it's a serious disease, has serious consequences. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not taking a jelly bean out of the jar where two out of every 100 jelly beans is going to kill me. Just saying. And I'm not going to take a jelly bean out of that jar if I know I might pass it over to one of my family members who's going to eat it and have a two out of a hundred chance of dying. Or one of my friends, one of my coworkers. So I got vaccinated as soon as I was eligible. And I got the Pfizer vaccine because I believe it's the best and strongest defense. Got my second dose right on the, the three week, you know, schedule, I feel like I'm pretty well protected. Now, does that mean I should, uh, you know, wear a mask? I, you know, at this point, folks like Joe are going to make up their mind, not get the vaccine, and I fully support Joe's decision to do so. And I fully support Joe's decision not to wear a mask. I'll differ with him on his analysis that the, the virus particles smaller than the pores in the mask. True, the problem is, is the virus doesn't spread as a single particle airborne. It spreads inside droplets as you cough and speak. You know, moisture droplets, those aren't smaller than the pores in an N95 mask, or even the pores in a cloth mask for the most part will stop most of those airborne particles. If And the other thing it does is it drops the velocity of your breath as it comes through. So if you do have part moisture particles that have virus in them, they're more likely to settle out of the air sooner one of the reasons why they kept talking about the six-foot distance, that was to give time for those particles to drop out of the air before they hit you. If it was strictly a, a, 
a virus-sized particle, it's not going to drop out of the air. It's going to stay airborne. Yeah, that you know, when you start talking about, you know, it may make people angry that they get that mis, you know, possible misinformation label and stuff. There is some real misinformation going out there, and I, I, it it makes me sad that some of it circulates because it confuses people. Just as sad as it makes me when they start talking about now we all have to wear a mask even if you're vaccinated. Because I think that's sending the wrong message to some of the people that were vaccine hesitant. They were like, yeah, maybe this Delta thing, I, maybe I ought to get my vaccine. I'm looking at how fast it's spreading. Because that, you know, there's two factors in what makes a communicable disease dangerous. The first is how communicable it is. Something they call R sub O or RO. You know, an RO of one, it basically means that if somebody gets a disease, they're probably going to give it to one other person. An RO of two means you give it to two people, and that two people give it to two people each, which is four, which means it can ex- expand exponentially. So anything over a one, you know, gets to be something that can spread pretty easily in our population. And the whole point of all the various things we were trying to do with staying six feet apart, wearing a mask, washing your hands, and all that was about trying to get that RO to be one, at least, or less than one. If it's less than one, the disease is dying out, which means if you have a lot of people vaccinated, you're also driving that RO down. Now, the other thing that makes a a disease dangerous is how, you know, uh, virulent and, um, you know, Actually, you know, what's the mortality rate? What's the hospitalization rate? What's the side effects from having disease, long-term side effects? You know, what is, what's the actual disease, if you do get it, do to you? Because, you know, we don't go crazy over the, every strain of the common cold because people recover from the common cold. It's actually got an RO well above two. Common colds. Yeah, spread geometrically, you know, very easily. You think about norovirus and how easily it spreads. And, and you know, it's not a very nice thing to have, but it doesn't usually kill people that often. But there are certain diseases that are super spread, you know, spread incredibly fast, like measles. You know, that is really scary. And, and how, you know, their ROs are like eight. I mean, can really spread geometrically very fast. Not as high a mortality rate maybe as, as, as some other diseases, but it's the fast spread that makes that a real disease of concern for public health officials. What's going on right now with the coronavirus, because we have a heavily vaccinated population, Delta variant, yes, has a, has a larger RO than the original, you know, coronavirus and some of the other variants. But we're not seeing the acuity of disease because of the number of people that have been vaccinated. We're not seeing, you know, we're seeing 4,500 cases in Oregon, 
but we're still seeing the same number of ICU and hospitalizations that we were seeing when we opened up, you know, and, and dropped the mask mandates. Two pieces of information on, on, on how reactive you get. You know, there's some diseases that aren't very transmissible. Meningitis. You know, the, the, the outbreak we had at the U of O. It's really hard to transmit meningitis. I mean, you, you have to try. But when it does get transmitted, the consequences are horrible. Nerve, you know, permanent nerve damage to death. In fact, we had the one girl at U of O die. It, it, in very few cases. One of the why, reasons that's a disease of concern for public health departments. Difficult to transmit. You just you just about have to be living with a person, sharing you know a, a a cup in the bathroom or a toothbrush, swapping spit so to speak, um, to transmit that disease from one person to another. But boy, if you get it, you're you can be in a heap of trouble. It's not caught right away. So that those are the two things that you weigh. And they're in between diseases where there's a, a high transmissivity and a and, and a fairly serious, you know, reaction. That's why it's like you know, these people, oh, it's only a two percent mortality rate. When it has the contagiousness of a coronavirus, i.e. related to the common cold. And it's got two percent mortality rate. It has the potential for massive mortality in a population. One only has to look at the videos from from India and the funeral pyres where they were, they they actually were running out of wood and and things to 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 have these pyres because they had so many to deal with. You know, we've been fortunate in this country that, you know, with our our ability to to control the pandemic the way we have. You know, and, and not that six hundred thousand deaths is something to, to to you know blow off, but it could have been worse. Could have been far worse. So. I want to switch subjects, though, but I'll offer folks a chance, you know, if you still want to talk about coronavirus, 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press 1 so Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to get in on the conversation. Let's talk about a few other things that I posted about, and then we'll probably, you know, wrap this up with some other things, but I just wanted to, to mention you know, our current fire conditions out there. Hoping we get some changes in weather this weekend. Looks like we might even get moisture in the forecast. Um, But, you know, once again, just got to tell everybody, don't be stupid. (laughs) I mean, it's like, I I heard lawnmowers and and I've seen people actually running mowers in fairly dry grass after 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, we don't need to be having campfires uh, and that sort of thing. Just pay attention to the fire restrictions. Um, our 
our capacity to fight wildfire right now in the state and country is stretched to the absolute maximum. Um, we've got the Middle Fork complex here in Lane County now. Um, and you know, all you have to do is step outside and look at how yellow orange the light is to understand how much smoke we got in the valley at the moment. Um, coming up from the California fires, they're, they're saying is where that's coming from. But um, we just have to not help Mother Nature. Mother Nature is going to do enough with lightning storms. Let's stay away from the human-caused fires this year uh, if we can. Uh, but it seems like tying to another issue, <laughs> we're having a lot of fires that seem to be around areas where homeless people camp. Hmm. Yeah, that's one of the issues about folks that are, you know, living rough out, you know, in our parks and on our streets in this community is they tend to use fire for cooking or heating or a candle for light or something, or they are smoking tobacco or whatever else or, you know, whatever and some of them might not be all mentally there and there's that potential for wildfires around some of these camps which is one of the reasons why we should be really careful about where these camps get located um, and have some control over that so I really uh, um, just be careful about fire and and you know, I feel bad for some of the victims of last summer's fires that lost homes a lot. It's got to be really traumatic you know, to see the smoke in the air again, hear about people, you know, getting evacuated in certain areas. The fire down in Douglas County has got level three evacuations, you know, running through it. You know, knowing that just a couple of valleys over, you know, from the Mackenzie River on the Middle Fork, there are these fires, and you're somebody that lives up the Mackenzie River from that lost their home and is starting to rebuild now. Yeah, that's got to be a tough thing for those folks. So uh, don't add to their stress. <laughs> I mean, every little whiff of smoke for those folks is traumatic at this point. So from fire and and homeless people to, you know, kind of let's tie this homeless thing to the whole NIMBYism stuff a little bit. You know, I've, I've noticed that there's this tendency in Eugene politics. And, you know, I only cover a small portion of Eugene, and I cover a portion that's kind of the, the – um, working class neighborhood of Eugene up there in Santa Clara. The South Hills of Eugene, and in particularly the Southeast area of Eugene, seems to be immune from getting um, identified for homeless camps, for uh, any sort of uh, shelters and services that might bring the homeless into their community. And now they can't even deal with the fact that their water utility in an attempt to main, remain resilient and have emergency water supplies available 
to the to themselves and the rest of the the city have managed to get the state to stop work on the eweb reservoir project in their neighborhood because they just want to have their own private park there that eweb has purchased and is holding outside of the tax rolls for their personal benefit of the neighborhood around it and all i can think of is these are the same people that are constantly talking about white privilege and, and issues like that. How much privilege do you think they are exercising in the, in the way they've managed to keep, you know, homeless camps out of their area, and now they're actually managed to stop a construction project that benefits the entire city, including all those, you know, BIPOC communities and, and uh, lower income communities that they're all supposed, you know, supposed to be defending uh, and talk about social justice. And it's about, you know, emergency water storage because, you know, we all know that there's climate chaos going on, so we need to be resilient, right? But they're managing to stop that project, which is all about resiliency. And it's a project that's been advertised to go in there for property 50 years ago. They've been advertising that's going to, you know, I, I made sure when I worked at eWeb in the late 90s that we put signage around that property that said future reservoir sites so people understood that those trees would get cut down eventually. And it's not something you can move around either. One of the things about reservoirs and water systems is they feed the water system by gravity. They have to be at an exact elevation. Now, how many pieces of property in Eugene do you think there are of big enough to put large enough reservoirs to actually be significant enough to be emergency water supply for 160,000 people? There is no real alternative. People don't understand that the residents of Eugene consume about 20 million gallons of water a day in the wintertime when it's raining and cold out. So when that Cascadia subduction zone earthquake hits and the power's cut off to our treatment plant, how many days worth of water do you think we have actually stored in our system? If we, if it happened in the wintertime when people are only using 20 million gallons a day, it's less than three days, really. We have to go to rationing almost right away. Yet these people in Southeast Eugene are blocking a project that's going to help, you know, provide that critical drinking water. Can you imagine what the city of Eugene would be like with no drinking water available to it? And the fact if it's a subduction zone earthquake, you're talking about, you know, lots of roads and bridges are all blocked. We're not the only town that's, that's devastated. You know, the coast has probably suffered a, a horrific tsunami. So we're on our own, you know, FEMA's not going to be here in three days. So there's going to be a period 
where your gene's going to run out of water if we don't make this reservoir project move ahead and if we're not planning ahead to go, you know, one of the things I did at the utility is I developed a um, plan, a water shortage supply plan of how we were going to implement restrictions immediately to try and stretch those water supplies out. How we were going to communicate to the public, how we were going to try and curtail usage, and what we were going to do when we couldn't curtail usage. Eventually, they're going to close the valves and have people come to the reservoir sites to get jugs of water filled. You know, imagine that, 160,000 people trying to come to two or three reservoir sites. It's not going to be fun. So all you folks in Southeast Eugene and exercising your privilege, what a bunch of NIMBYs. Not in my backyard. We want our private park. But, yeah, and we might talk about some board stuff here, too. You know, this this week our board voted to deny a permit for a rock quarry up in Oak Ridge. And, of course, yes, it, there's a lot of people in Oak Ridge that don't want the quarry there. They're being stirred up by some environmental folks and all that. And it's a typical thing, scared of change. I had to remind folks yesterday that there's a rock quarry in Springfield that doesn't seem to have hurt Springfield's downtown's resurgence. It's right next door to Doris Ranch, and Doris Ranch is a very popular spot still. And it's right next to the Willamette River. It hasn't seemed to cause some, you know, huge problem with the Willamette River's water quality. But uh, even with that, they uh, decided that they wanted to deny it when they had the opportunity just to extend the timeline to see if the applicant could resolve the one last issue. What's interesting is the same people that voted to deny this permit are the same ones supporting us doing everything we can to control the climate. Now, quarry rock is an important element in just about every piece of infrastructure that serves a city and for houses to be built affordably. So when you don't have distributed sources of aggregate around a region, you truck it from some other source. Well, don't you think there's a carbon footprint for that, you know, not having that distributed source? Don't you also think there's a cost that's going to be involved, which means the cost of that infrastructure to serve the city of Oak Ridge and the cost of housing in Oak Ridge is impacted by the fact that they're trucking gravel from somewhere in the valley, out Highway 58. All those forest service roads that have become part of the uh, tourism of Oak Ridge area because people like to ride mountain bikes and side-by-side four-wheelers out there, where do you think they're going to have to get their gravel from? So kind of short-sighted, wouldn't cost the county hardly anything just to say, let's extend the time, give the applicant a chance to work out this one final issue about whether they have an impact on it. And it wasn't that they definitively have an impact. 
on the elk population there is whether they have an impact, and if they do, could it be mitigated? And to blow right past that, and we're going to deny that, um, same folks that are concerned about carbon don't want to, you know, look at the fact that there's very limited aggregate resources across this county. But, you know, and that's driven somewhat by the not in my backyard crowd too. Um, but, you know, we also did something yesterday where we actually placed government employees once again, you know, on a pedestal with more privilege than the private taxpayers that are paying the government employee's salary, where we approved a minimum wage for county employees of $15 an hour. But people earning less than that are going to be paying taxes into the county to pay for that higher wage for the public employees. And, you know, they all were patting themselves on the back for doing this because, it, you know, they wanted to show that they're, they're setting an example and all that. And we're saying, well, it's only, you know, we have so few employees that are below $15 an hour. This is only costing us $27,000 a year. And all I could think was, I have a friend who lives in a paid off house biggest bill of the year is her property tax. And she currently is on Social Security at about $800 a month. She'd sure like to have $27,000 a year more. (laughs) Big money for her. But her biggest bill of the year is going to help pay for that, that privilege that these public employees have over you poor taxpayers, even though that person I'm talking about worked a lifetime, unfortunately, it's a fairly fairly low wage jobs that didn't put into the social security system and ended up with a fairly low social security wage. And, uh, but she's paying for that $15 an hour minimum wage. Well, I see, Robin, we're about five minutes to the hour. Is there any closing thoughts on your part? Um, we're screwed. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's, it, it's, it's tough. But, you know, I, I, I have to say, you know, I have to be enthusiastic about some things. The fact that we even have vaccines available for the coronavirus is just a testament to the ingenuity of the human mind. You know, that is basically a vaccine for the common cold, just like Joe mentioned. It is related to the cold. They figured out a way to protect against a certain strain of the common cold. (laughs) Amazing stuff. So at least that makes me feel good about about society that we have that much ingenuity. Yeah, but it's not the scientists I'm worried about; it's the politicians that's driving this that I'm worried about. Yeah, and the politicians that are making policy based on not very good information on the science. Reading a very interesting book now that kind of discusses that scientists to people that summarize science to the press that summarizes the summaries of the science to the policymakers that are making decisions based on what they're reading in the press. 
it's it's a really good book um, on on climate change that's kind of got some people a little bit upset called Unsettled. Yeah. Written by a former Obama administration appointee and a PhD in physics, kind of goes through how that that telephone, you know, it, the old game of telephone where you whispered something in somebody's ear and they whispered it to the next person and you went around a circle and see how much it changed, you know, by the time it got back around. That's what's happening right now with a lot of science. Yeah, you know what the end result is? What, what, the, what really scares me, though, is that, or really concerns me, is that with, we all got the vaccines um, despite, well, it's a lot of the fear. But there was a promise that if you get the vaccine, you can take the face diaper off and have, you can see people's teeth again. I mean, it's not only backed up by hopeful thinking by me, but also the lipstick industry. <laughs> yeah. But now with the Delta, are we going to be muzzled forever? I, you know, and that's, to me, the data, there's not enough data to justify muzzling again. There just is not enough data. It's not showing the severity of disease necessary to justify masking people that have been vaccinated. So... With that thought, I'm going to just remind people again, you know, I, you know, I got my vaccine, sore arm for 24 hours, maybe a little bit tired on the first shot, just a short sore arm on the second shot. You know, talk to some people about it. Talk to your friends who have been vaccinated. I know Robin had a little bit higher level of reactivity to that. Um, vaccine than I did um, and, and a little bit more. But, you know, if you're, if you're on the fence wondering, is it time? The Delta variant should have you thinking about that. Yeah. They turned me into a newt. <laughs> <laughs> so I got better. You got better. Oh, my gosh. Don't get me Monty Python. I blow my nose at you, you English big dog. Uh, <laughs> get the royal hand grenade. You want a vicious rabbit? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, you can tell that Jay has been running crazy today and had to run into the show for, straight from his car, literally left the car outside the garage because I didn't want to take the time to pull into the garage. Um, so with that I'm going to say goodbye we'll be back next week hopefully on time with another edition of the Bo's Nose Show coming to you from beautiful downtown Elmira thank you for listening (laughs) 